Welcome back to Design Emergency, co-started by myself, Paola Antonelli, and Alice Rosthorn to celebrate the designers that are thinking of the future of the world and are trying to make a better place out of it. Our guest today is Gabrielle Fontana, also Gabrielle Fontana, an independent designer and creative director based in Paris and Rotterdam. His approach to his work is always through a social design framework. And for the past several years, Gabrielle has focused on sports and understandably so, because sports are crucial to society. Whether you're an active participant or a passionate spectator, sports offer invaluable opportunities for connecting with others, for shaping our own character, for fostering a profound sense of unity, of identity, of self-worth, of belonging, just to be better humans and better citizens. And it's through these interactions that we not only grow as individuals, but also forge the deep interpersonal connections that transcend the boundaries that are imposed by society. And this is very important because Gabrielle uses performative and participatory methodologies to position design as a social practice and investigate how our bodies perpetuate and internalize social norms. His approach, as you will hear, is through pedagogy, activities, and games that deconstruct group dynamics and offer new ways to unlearn the norms that are straight-jacketing ourselves. So for today, let's focus on players and let's focus on Gabrielle, although the nuances of spectatorship and fandom are a whole universe that deserves ex exploration, maybe next time. But so welcome to Design Emergency, Gabrielle. Thank you so much, Paola, for this great introduction and for the invitation. It's such a, a pleasure to be here today. Well, and also, I want to tell you, before we start anything, congratulations on being nominated Dutch Design of the Year in the Young Designer category. It's really great, great news. Thank you so much. Because people consider you a Dutch designer, but you're also French. But at this point, who cares, right? You're based in Paris yes. and Rotterdam. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And I've been developing my practice in the Netherlands for the past five years. Um, and that's why, yeah, my work is still positioned in the field of what we call Dutch design, which of course is like way more than like Dutch in many ways. Um, but I've been trying to like relocate and develop more pro projects in Paris as well at the moment. And you know, Dutch design is a good label anyway, because especially in the past few decades, it's come to really, uh, to really speak of experimentation and of an attempt to really use design to have points of pressure in society. So I wanted to ask you, what is a social designer? So for me, a social designer, I would say, is a designer who uses both design principles and methodologies to address social issues and hopefully as well create a positive social change. And in this way, I see social design more as a tool to transform social structures institutions, behaviors, and norms with society. So it's really about proposing shift in attitudes, beliefs, and values. However, we cannot do this work alone. Uh, and the designer is never disconnected from a social environment. And therefore, we often see social designers working directly in, com in collaboration with communities, different groups and stakeholders and so it's why also i like to think about social designers as connectors as connectors to facilitate 
exchange of knowledge and practices from different experts. And for me, it's really important for us also as designers to be able to embrace and to understand the social implication of what we design, because I believe nothing is neutral. We cannot separate our physical environment to a social world. And so for me, being a social designer, it's really being aware of these dynamics about how the environment that we design will always shape and have consequences on a social environment in this way. Your ambition is to change society for the better, and for the past few years has been to do so by changing sports, using all the design tools at your disposal, from actual objects to investigative practice to collaborative practice and system design to tackle the issue from many angles. But how did you come to focus on sports? So first of all, I think like sport is such actually a, a good example of social design, because in a way we can really understand sports as an hyper-designed system, you know. When we look at sport practice, basically what we see is that there is a space that is designed, such as a sport field, in which people are interact interacting um, by using different objects, such as sport equipment or balls, wearing some specific clothes as uniforms. And all these different design elements come to play a role in not only how we interact, but also like how we perceive and relate to each other. Uh, so coming from this social design perspective, for me, it was really interesting to approach sport from this lens. Um, and also for the little story, my dad used to work as a sport teacher, um, which I think also shaped a lot my practice, but also my understanding of sport. Uh, we decided that sport for me, it's not only an activity, it's really a performance of wider social structures. It's literally a metaphor for society in this way. I don't want to ask you too many questions, but I can talk about myself and then maybe you'll talk about yourself. For me, sports was always pain because when I was a kid, I was not necessarily the, the sporty kind. Let's put it that way. So any hour of physical education was torture. <laughs> so that's why also what you do resonated with me a lot. How was it for you to have your father teach PE? And by the way, to what, uh, what ages did he teach? I was teaching in uh, high school, and which was like, quite funny that uh, he used to teach PE and at the same time history of cinema, which is <laughs> something quite unexpected. That's so, fabulous, um, actually. <laughs> yes, not really fitting um, the idea or yeah, what we can expect from a sport teacher. Um, and in this way, I think it's where it was yeah, more interesting to approach sport more as a metaphor and as a tool to work on other questions. I mean, I was not a sport passionate uh, when I was a teenager. I was good at sport, but still, I think growing as a queer person also like, developed a different understanding of how different bodies might experience sports spaces and practices in very different ways. Yeah, because you said that studying in school, right, in that PE class, the bodies that team up on the pitch 
that's your words, are often categorized according to their physical attributes. So mm -hmm. sex, age, strength, and other bodily capacities. I'm going to add also weight and looks. Yeah, that was me. Um, and they become boxes to be ticked and shoes to be filled. So, and you also said many, many children experience PE class as a very hostile environment. So can you tell us more about this idea of the body being constricted with education? Yes, I mean, I think PE class is a very normative environment, you know. You know, it's almost the first time in your life that you encounter someone or space that will tell you how you're supposed to behave, how you're supposed or expected to interact with an object, with others, depending if you're perceived as a boy or as a girl, or also just in general, more widely, how your body is perceived as well. And indeed, when I started to work with primary and secondary schools and high schools in Rotterdam for my own research, what I realized is that a lot of kids still experience class as a very unsafe also environment. And one example that I like to give also, uh, which is quite telling, is, for example, this moment um, of a team building process, you know, when you're going to have two kids uh, that are like, defined as team leaders, we're going to decide who comes on their teams. And you always have some children who end up to be the last one to be picked up by the team leader, whether due to their um, physical ability, gender, sexuality, popularity in the class, and so on. And this experience of exclusion has an impact that I believe really extends far beyond the boundaries of the gym, because it's also like a determining factors in creating obstacles regarding a personal and social development for the kids. Yeah, and immediately the other is the enemy and you have to compete and it becomes this like adrenaline fueled and you know just like tense environment so what can you as a designer do how does design figure in sports and what are the pressure points that you can use to heal so i mean i select so many great opportunities uh for designers to to work on it. Uh, still, unfortunately, what we observe is that often, I mean, many designers work on sport, but often from like a very uh, aesthetical perspective uh, and not from a social one. Because of course, the whole aesthetic around sports is very appealing for fashion designers, graphic designers, product designers, and so on. But in my work, I'm really interested in thinking of how can we reinvent sport itself as a practice, as a system, uh, as a societal activities and, and topic. Um, and so for the past few years, I've been collaborating, as I was mentioning earlier, directly with schools, meaning sport teachers, kids, and also a sport philosopher, in together developing some kind of alternative team sport games that aims to deconstruct group dynamic and stimulate empathy. So, um, so as a designer, you have this this situation. You have the objects uh, mm -hmm. of sports. You have the space which you can redesign, and you have the uniforms and the clothing that you can redesign, and that's a lot. But so, I would like you to describe the handball game that you co-created with Natanya van den Heuvel, who's a, a mm -hmm. philosopher and a sports philosopher. That's so beautiful that that exists, and also importantly with the students and the teachers. And I think first it was in Rotterdam. 
and then it was in Paris or in other parts of France, using these three pressure points, the objects, the clothing, and the space. Can you describe the game? So this game is called Multiform, uh, and it's a game that is played in uh, a three-team format. It's an on-ball game. Uh, so for this game, I actually use uh, a specific sport field that was designed by Asger Young in the 70s with a situationist artist from Denmark. And basically, at that time, Asger Young proposed this alternative uh, version of a soccer field. He had this first idea of thinking, what could it mean to add a third team to a game? Because when you look at team sports, it's always a binary. It's always one group against the other one. And therefore, I created this sport field with basically just adding a third goal um, to a game, uh, a third team. And basically, what it creates is that it opens space for collaboration because you play in a situation where two teams can decide to team up against the other one, but the situation can change. And so in my work, I use this sport field as a base to develop new games system that play around the notion of fluid identities. And so to come back to Multiform, so I use Asgarion's sport field to facilitate this game in a three-team format. And then for Multiform, I design this transformable sport uniform that change color during the game. So this means that when people are playing through the games, they're going to start to transform their outfit, reverse the top part of the t-shirt, unfold some parts. Do they know time, how they're going to transform? Is it like a willful act or is it ruled by chance? So it's uh, the referee basically who choreograph and orchestrate uh, the dance. So let's say like every five minutes, the referee is going to say transformation and everyone will transform at the same time the outfit. So each time a new color appear on the clothes, all the players are relocated in your new team. And so by playing the games, the outfits start to become a real color patchwork because the different color of the team start to overlap. It starts to become also confusing for players to understand in which team they are. And for me, it was also this idea of thinking of how could I use disorientation as a design strategy to force the players to collaborate during the games by doing what we usually understand as mistake, such as, for example, passing the ball to someone who is not in your team. But in this way, these uh, team deconstructions, reconstructions also make the games more reflective because you constantly have to question yourself, okay, in which team do I belong to? And what is my role within this team? Absolutely. Yeah, and you have to focus, you have to remind yourself who the other players are, you have to adapt exactly. to the other players' performance. That's so interesting. So how did the school children react when they played the games that you developed with them? Did you notice any differences in their response compared to the adults? Definitely. Uh, I developed this game and uh, I keep on facilitating workshops and, gave, and games with like various different like age groups. And for me, it's always very interesting indeed to see the difference between the reactions of kids or adults. For example, first of all, when I play with adults, it always takes ages before to start. 
because adults really want to make sure that they understood the rules correctly. And there's always some fear before like starting something new, where with the kids, I just threw the ball and they learn by doing it. Uh, so there's not many questions in this way. But also, I noticed that uh, adults get way more confused, disoriented by this constant change of teams and color also with the outfit, where actually for the kids, it's very easy to play the games. And it's quite interesting because before I started to work with the schools, I had the assumption that the game will be too complicated for kids. Because first I started with adults, which actually was the other way around. Yeah, it speaks to the fact that these norms of societies become more and more ingrained as you age. So it's quite fascinating. You know? So how can we start to recondition our bodies through sports? As you said, to override the movements and gestures that serve to reproduce the old colonial, racist, patriarchal, heteronormative and misogynist society. These are your words and they're perfect. I'm going to tattoo them on myself. So how do we do it? I mean, before like how we do it also like um, just to respond to this word and like why I'm using them uh, is also because like when we look at sport, what we see that sport is such an old social practice. Like if we look at history, what we see is that sport never really evolved um, since the first modern Olympic Games in 1894. And therefore, my work really starts from this idea that like all these like traditional team sport games we play still carry very conservative values of this very old time. So there's a bit this question of like, first of all, why are we still playing the same game? Uh, and also like indeed, how can we make sport practices evolve as well to like support societal changes? And so my way to do it is to think of how can we bring back some complexity to sport games? That tend to like oversimplify our perceptions, understanding of the world, and also like how can we bring some fluidity? So in all the games that I develop, I play around this notion of like fluid identities. So for example, in multiform, this is manifested through this situation where like players are like invited to change teams during the games. I have some other games that play around the notion of anonymity, where like from the beginning of the games, people don't know in which team they are. So by playing, they have to like, basically it's a game of observation. They need to like observe where other people attack, defend, to understand who's in their group. And I like to create this, yeah, fluidity and confusion, disorientation, also because I believe that it's in this moment of not knowing and of feeling a bit lost, that new relationship, new connections, new thoughts might emerge as well but also in the way of like how it makes the game more reflective and not only a physical activity. And it's also like where I like to position my work in the games that I develop as a form of queer pedagogy in the way that the game teaches us how to deal with more than a binary experience of the world with the idea of like yeah, adding a sport team to a game, adding some complexity, some fluidity, but also like a queer pedagogy in the way that the game teach us as well this idea of um, challenging any notion of like fixed or stable categories in this way. 
so much of the system of sports is exclusionary right now, and you were talking about complexity, and of course there are the complexities of the existing rules, but the complexity that you suggest is a learned complexity, and it is learned through the body, so that's really fascinating. But what do you mean when you say that sport can be understood as a coded system? So I think like a coded system in a way as I was mentioning that we have like this different like design element that interact from like a, a design space, the sport field, the uniform, the object, and so on. And I believe that all these elements really come to shape the way of like how we understand both each other, but also like what, for example, like the body is. For example, when you look at traditional sport fields such as soccer, basketball, handball and so on what we see is that these spaces and the way of like how they're like design their shape dimensions always vary depending if the field has been designed for a male or a female player for a, an able or disabled body or for like a kid or an adult and therefore sport field always categorized and divide bodies in this very like binary categories in this way. So what do you think about the whole debate that is happening right now about trans people competing with their own gender versus their gender attributed at birth? I don't understand like why it's such a, a big question. I mean, I understand it from a, a more like maybe like sport industry perspective because then it sort of become a question of sponsorship, money, uh, and so on, but for me, it's to like bring back the question of like, what is it actually at play in sports? You know, and like, what should be the priority? Uh, what is it important? Like, should the focus be on these categories and this idea of fairness, uh, which I think doesn't exist, or should the focus being put on being together? Yeah, definitely, it's almost like two different systems and. Can sport exist without competitiveness, without competition? I'm not against uh, competitions, and I think competitions also give motivation to play. Um, but I think competition needs to be deconstructed. We need to have space for reflections, debate, and so on, which is really not the case for now in school context, in PE, or other, yeah competitions level as well. Um, but competition by itself, I don't think is something negative. It can be like a, a good motivation as well. So your ambition is really big and rightly so. I say hooray to that. You know, it's to improve society by working on sports. So how are you going to go about it? What do you wish to happen in order for you to be able to spread the word and to actually implement maybe a school program or more to this effect? So I would say my work infiltrates multi layers of society by focusing on three specific sectors. So basically I'm applying my work in education, culture and the sport industry. And I see different opportunities in each of these contexts. Let's start with education, where I think it's where like all the change needs to start. Um, for me, working like directly with schools, for teachers, kids, and so on, I think really helped me to keep 
my project very grounded and make sh making sure that I'm responding to real needs in this way. Uh, at the same time, education system are not so open for change neither. So it's also like a quite difficult and exhausting context also uh, in which to work. But for me, it was important to develop the game starting from this environment in this way. And then I see the cultural sector as a great space for developing new ideas, also as a space for debate, reflections, and so on. So for the past few years, I also started to organize um, queer sports tournaments with cultural institutions. For example, like last December, I had a big show in Amsterdam where we launched this like huge alternative sport tournaments in parallel to the World Cup with this idea of thinking how could we reclaim mainstream sport event as a space to host queer future and so basically when my work is applied in museums or like cultural institutions basically I'm just like taking over the space transforming it into a gym we invite different audiences from like schools, organizations, other cultural institutions to come to play the games. Um, and it's great. <laughs> but in this context is, as I see, like, yeah, more like a space uh, for like developing new ideas and a space where we can like, yeah, more like discuss and reflect. Are you going to do anything for the Paris Olympics? Yes, I'm looking at it now and uh, I'm like in contact with uh, they have like a world department um, working on like different questions related to like inclusivity. Uh, so now I'm like yeah exploring this idea of giving some like workshops or like talks uh, in this context. It's a great opportunity. I hope you'll take it. Definitely, indeed, like this like a very big sport event, and also like just the sport industry in general. I think it's also like a, a great context in terms of uh, the huge range they have in terms of like outreach uh, you know because when you work with schools or even like with museum it's always very limited in terms of like the audience uh, that you can reach uh, and i think like the sport industry has the power also to set up new societal trends as well uh, and to promote a new social narrative around sports that can go way beyond school contexts museums and so on they really do, and I'm glad that they took notice of you. I don't know how much you can say, but they did, and it's fantastic. So I really yeah. hope to see your world um, expanding and your work touching many more souls and bodies. So I want to thank you for this great conversation. Today we have been speaking with Gabrielle Fontana, who is a social designer focused on sports as a tool, as a design tool to change society from within in a systemic way. So Gabrielle, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Paola, for the invitation. And to all of you, I really look forward to having you again on this episode and on the next episodes of Design Emergency. Thank you so much.